and again, this isn't, I'm not trying to sow discord within the ranks or set you up to, to be going one against the other. It's just No, that... you would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't ever. to play riffs this was an rpg that was originally put out in the 80s and grew through the 90s by palladium books it has been adapted into the savage worlds play setting and we are now on the savage worlds adventure edition which is the latest iteration of that suede rule set so uh, really happy to be here really excited to get rolling i've been playing riffs for a while our setting is rolling in here with three player characters into the new west of rifts if you want to go ahead and google the new west region for the rifts world as a brief update rifts earth is set 300 years from the apocalypse which is 300 years from today so like it's crazy bear with us here 600 years in the future so 300 years from now there's this huge huge cataclysmic event I believe in the lore specifically, uh, you know, nuclear threats and wars have gone off and the, such a large toll, death toll, tore created tears in space and time. So we had rifts opening up, literal rips in space and time, kind of the opposite of black holes, and the earth was covered in ley lines. So these magical cords of energy wrapped the globe. And so things like magic users, gargoyles, uh, demons, historical figures, literally a rip in space and time for anywhere in the absolute universe. So, you know, Atlantis is back and uh, Europe has been taken over by gargoyles. South America has been taken over by vampires and uh, the Pacific is just a, a wash of sea. You know, we haven't even heard about Hawaii. I don't think there is a Rifts Hawaii book. And our adventurers are now present in 109 post-apocalypse, which is not 109 years after the apocalypse, but 109 years after they started keeping dates after the apocalypse. So it's about 300 years after the actual cataclysmic event. And so we're kind of crawling out of the dark ages. You know, we're through just that gritty, gnarly Mad Max survival stage. We're moving into where we really get to see who the heroes are, who the villains are, emergent empires, and crumbling hangers on of old settlements and civilizations that existed in the past. Uh, you know, as it set 300 years from the apocalypse, which is 300 years from now, there are really crazy things like pre-Rifts power armor that is just this top, top tier equipment, which we'll see very soon because one of our players is using it. And you have that sitting next to Cyber Knights, which are essentially your King Arthur Knights Templar who you know, are using psionic power and magic to right the wrongs of the world. So a little bit of setting there. And this is session 0 0.5, if you will, session one. We're still getting a new player in here. So bear with us. How did I do? I see. What do you think? Sounds good to me. All right. Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Excellent. Uh, yeah, brief rundown. Uh, reprising his role as Slash, we have Kentaro playing the gun 
trigger happy mercenary slash who's now from a previous campaign just so everyone has a little bit of background we ran rifts once before with the same group so slash has been ported over into the savage worlds and now he is the old soldier seeking some form of retirement successfully or unsuccessfully remains to be seen dun 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 <laughs> and we have icy mccopling tyler froman the the uh, Silver Surfer, if you will, the Glitter Boy, one of the bucket list items for every RPG player who's ever heard of Rifts, uh, walking around in this incredible pre-Rifts artifact, 10-foot tall chrome power armor, just this gorgeous thing to behold that is beyond what anyone can imagine and what most people have seen. And we have Armagadillo playing Graham, the subtle, unseemly Leyline Walker which is the equivalent for anyone who's heard of Dungeons and Dragons of a wizard. In Rifts, they, uh, the Leyline Walker is your power-hungry magic user, essentially, just to give you an archetype. Are we all, are we all in? In the game? Ready to rock? Ready to go. Seems like. Okay, fantastic. All right. So, to kick off here, the three of you erstwhile companions have been traveling together for some time you have worked peripherally in the shadow of the tolkien war so our story takes place months after the desolation of tolkien so tolkien is a magical city it was a haven a crossroads for every race every skill every talent to come together and live in peace. It was essentially a uh, petri dish for the world of rifts. And so Tolkien was located in the northeast of the continent of North America as we know it today. And there were some of you, like Graham and Slash, who had a little bit more to do with it. And there are some of you, like Tyler, who were on the fringes and more reaping the benefits, maybe a little more opportunistic with how they worked around that siege. And in the fallout from this, most refugees from the city, I should back up here, the coalition launched nukes at Tolkien. That's how they chose to end that conflict. They pushed the big red button, and it got real bad. So the fallout from that, most of the refugees have fled to New Laszlo, which is a safer haven further away from the coalition heart of Chai Town, which is set in our modern-day Chicago, and uh, to the New West, because it's free out there. The closest known outpost of the coalition is in Texas, uh, and it's called um, Lone Star. And so, as you move towards Kansas, Nebraska, Colorado, you see the grip of the coalition lessen and lessen and lessen. And you find yourselves, as you headed south and west, hearing more and more about a thing called Pride's Game. And you weren't sure what that was at first, Pride's Game. It could be some sicko's idea of uh, hunting refugees, or it could be something legitimate in an absolute, you know, an absolute lottery. And as you fished for more and more rumors, to guide your direction and your travel, helping refugees where you could along the way, as you seem to be mostly good people, and assisting where you could with coalition patrols and 
DBs and things that go bump in the night, you heard more and more about this game, Pride's game. And rumors that have surfaced are that it's a lottery of some kind, that you are able to win something, win freedom. But aren't we all free citizens in this post-apocalyptic North America? Oh, no, it's the deepest and darkest desires that you possess. You can win whatever it is that you want. A utopia, it, it grants your every wish. That is pride's game. It is the ultimate lottery. This thing that they say existed in pre-Rifts North America, where you could buy a few scripts and maybe win some money. But this, this is the absolute epitome of what that lottery could be. And as you get closer and closer to what we know as New Mexico, and what you simply know as the New West and Southwest, you hear more and more about our killing to get to Pride's game. People who are traveling from all over the continent to get to Pride's game. You've even heard of a Triax and NGR expat, the New German Republic, an NGR expat who made a dark deal with a rifter to make his way to the South of America for Pride's game. And so we find ourselves here with this, this goal that can change your very life and the life of those around you. For you've heard rumors of allotments, allowances, and benefits, and stipends, and part of it, you know, you take with a grain of salt. You're all men of the world. You're sure that things are being extrapolated beyond control, but it, there's just so much good. There's, even if you cut things in half, there's, there's so much good, three quarters. It, it's still just incredibly, incredibly life-changing. We find ourselves in the mountains between Pre-Rifts, Colorado, and New Mexico. I want to do a little bit of world building here as we break, as we get the, the impetus for your travel, where you're coming from, where you're going to. I'm really curious about Tyler's character. I think that the three of you are doing some traveling with probably some refugees, uh, maybe even a road train. How do you think the three of you who have, as I said, have been working together for a while, maybe bumped together on different campaigns through the end of the Tolkien War. How do you think the three of you would be traveling, moving towards the South? Well, as we've got uh, a bunch of refugees with us and things like that, uh, Tyler would likely be in, in his Glitter Boy a fair amount of the time, uh, as I don't think we really have anything to go through in transport. <laughs> you know, a couple tons of steel and stuff like that. So he'd likely be in there kind of watching the periphery, see if there's anything going on and just make sure the whole caravan is, is safe as we're, we're moving that direction. Okay. That's reasonable. I think if, um, you know, if that works for you, so well, there's a, you know, a road train or a caravan of some type, do you think you would be scouting ahead? Would you be out to the flanks moving along the rear? We have to remember that a Glitter Boy is a beacon, and for mm -hmm. uh, factions like the Coalition, it is a shoot-on-sight kind of beacon, so that can get real bad real fast. 
oh, that's exactly why he's out front because he wants <laughs> to be the first one to get shot, which Tyler is a little bit uh, arrogant. So he's definitely out front just being that beacon and like, okay, just waiting for somebody to actually take a pot shot. Like, come on, let's get some action on here. All right. So given that, uh, Graham, you know, in the impetus of your ley line walker, and sorry, I didn't let you know. If you open up your character sheet and click on the notes page, I did write a brief paragraph. And then there are some points about the edges and the hindrances that you have there that kind of make up the character. So I'll move on to I Slash. Have, uh, edited some of those slightly based on work that I did before. Good. Okay. Okay, great. Then, since you're kind of into that, Graham, based on that, where do you think you would be in relation to the Scout Glitter Boy? Uh, I don't think that I would be uh, with the Scout Glitter Boy at all. I'm fairly certain that uh, Graham would probably be... Uh, if we're escorting refugees, Graham is with the refugees. Um, Graham is not... Uh, Graham is a man of the people, uh, despite being a uh, leyline walker. Um, just not a little bit more concerned with the uh, the well-being of the, the commoners than anything else. Okay. All right. Fantastic. So, you know, walking among the people, probably near the front, you know, he's a, a character of note, a named, a named man, if you will. And, oh gosh, I want to I want to do exclamation jump on Icy Macaw's stream here. Get those 50 Macaws. <laughs> so that makes sense for Graham. How have you dealt with the overcoming of the society of the refugees? You know, these are people from uh, Tolkien, which was a very magical city. But lane line walkers in general come with some mistrust because they handle powers that no one can comprehend. You know, you are able to reach out and harness these flowing lines with a gesture, with a thought, and it's easy for you, and that scares people. Um, I think that, um, by and large, Graham doesn't, you know, other than the, the you know, sort of telltale mask um, that's uh, common to sort of all the ley line walkers, um, there's not really... Like we're, we don't go out of our way to uh, to set to s sit aside from the rest of people. I think that's where he's sort of comfortable. I don't think that Graham is comfortable entirely with what he can do, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh like this is a thing that was uh, a point of fascination of, of curiosity, but not something that. Um, yeah, there's no ego here. It's just sort of like, this is a thing I can do. And mm, life is stranger because of it. Um, but we'll, we'll just see where it takes us. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, with that in mind, Slash, where would you find yourself in this road train? Um, if you'd like to ask me a few questions about the road train, we can. Let's build, you know, we'll delve into that. But where would you find yourself if the, if Tyler, your erstwhile companion and heavy artillery really is why you love him because he brings that rain is out front and Graham is uh, at the at the forefront of the mob of the refugees. Would you be near the front with Graham? Where would you find yourself? I would be in my flying Titan armor and I'd just be kind of up in the air, scouting around, keeping an eye in the distance for anything coming and just keeping an eye on Tyler to make sure 
that if he gets into anything, I can respond quick and be there to support. I I still really can't believe you you rolled for that on that uh, what is it hero's <laughs> journey they call it in the in the yeah. wrist book. That's, yeah, that's uh, pretty. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm just gonna pull that up dope. real quick because it used to have a lifespan. You know, you had to like cool down the jets. Uh, so let me just take a look at that real quick. Okay. Um, highly favored by those who want the flight system and speed and maneuverability. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, we didn't even get into that much detail with it. Just that it can fly with a decent pace. Wow. Okay. 400 miles an hour? Yeah, I think it yeah. could. Yeah. yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> okay, cool. So you're on Overwatch. Tyler's out front. Graham is among the people. How big of a group do you think the three of you would have been comfortable traveling with in terms of refugee count? Uh, Tyler, Tyler really doesn't care. Uh, he's, you know, the bigger the caravan, the more opportunity he opportunities he's going to have to uh, get into a fight and prove himself. Uh, but he he's not against going with a smaller group. And is it just the three of us escorting these group? There are a few other men at arms. Absolutely. Uh, a couple magic users who you yourself have worked with, Graham, and Slash as well. Uh, Tyler, you only know one of them. A uh, couple named men that, that uh, you know, have made their way through the, through the people of the caravan. But you are the three sort of chosen leaders who have been doing the most for the longest. The others are sort of hired guns there if you need them, but their their days are... They don't have a cause to fight for anymore, let's say. So you're not the only three men at arms who know their way about a, a barbarrel, but you are the only three that people will allow to call the shots. I'd say probably about mm, somewhere around 30, just because uh, sort of standard classroom size. Sure. Something controllable, especially with the headstrong Tyler. Always wanting to go out and, and find the next fight. And he seems like he always wants to prove himself, whether he actually needs to or not. And uh, with the Slash, who seems just more tired than anything of the conflict. So you find yourself, Graham, to be more often than not the mother of the refugees. This is, uh, this is acceptable. I don't think they like Graham particularly. I don't think he's personally adept in the uh, social sphere um but uh you know it's uh, a face a face you can trust <laughs> i trust you you would okay so about about 30 refugees are given about a classroom size just making another quick note here and considering that you're traveling with a glitter boy up at the front because that's you know that's already like a beacon uh, out there just a f you're launching a flare with every step he takes again this is hate it hate it hate it, hate it. yeah multiple tons <laughs> of glistening shiny chrome armor that makes the ground shake with every step you know like this is the, every it, night i'm there like just smearing dirt on it trying to make it less <laughs> shiny um what, do you think you would have allowed many vehicles with you? You know, there there weren't many coming out of Tolkien. We're not talking about the flashiest, hottest coalition ground car here, but 
Uh, there may have been a couple of flatbed trucks that wanted to travel with just, you know, SDC vehicles, regular ground vehicles, uh, maybe a beat up hover car or two, that kind of thing. Would you have allowed vehicles considering what's leading your pack? I think, I think we probably would have let. Yeah. Come. I think considering what we got up front, I mean, you know, uh, traveling by like inconspicuous means is preferable. But, you know, if we're going to be. Uh, have a beacon out front anyway we might as well get a few trucks or something in there right okay okay great and you know it makes it easier to transport things like food and other goods like that as well so with that in mind because your group is so small this is one of my follow-up questions what is something that you saved the group from do you think it was a monster attack do you think it was a coalition patrol Maybe led by a Psy Stalker or one of their uh, spooks, shall we say, for lack of a better term. Except this is a 600-year-in-the-future spook who will probably, you know, rip your throat out with their teeth. Uh, you know, or was it um, uh, bandits? You know, g- give me a genre of villain that you would have saved this small group from. I think we kind of got out of a lot of where, you know, we'd meet um, anything of... Uh, you know, a large group. Uh, so we kind of, I would suspect bandits would be kind of what we had saved this group from not super well armed or anything, not, you know, spooks or anything like that, but, you know, just kind of some people looking to do it. And unfortunately they, they showed up and didn't realize what was in the group, uh, before they got on top of us, probably in some woods or something, I would guess. Sure. Okay. So this actually took place a short, short time ago maybe three or four days, and it really cemented the group together. It was moving through what we would have known today as, you know, old Denver, uh, just outside of it in the foothills of the mountains. We've got some forests, and that was where you had chosen to camp for the night. And bandits who thought they had a good chance decided to take the plunge. And this is probably... I don't know, about 50 miles south of Denver as it stands, maybe between 25 and 50 miles south. And uh, that was when this group of refugees really chose, you know, really solidified and chose to believe in you as leaders. It has been really touch and go the weeks previous, weeks now, because Tolkien is in the north and east. They kind of been following you and the two or three other combatants and men-at-arms is sort of a, this is what we're doing now, and we've got nothing better to do, really, so so here we are. But it was that moment when you three stepped up with the, you know, occasional pot shot from one of the other mercenaries to to assist here with a flank that that really had them say, okay, you're you're our leaders, you're the ones we're going to follow, but you've also noted that they haven't really picked out one of you as the guy it's kind of your committee and uh, you know graham doesn't really stand above either of you slash or tyler because he spends more time with them they gravitate to him and they'll ask him more questions they seem to trust him more to bring their concerns to you which is odd because the two of you don't really don't really feel like he's given you every reason to fully and completely trust him. And you're not sure if that's 
the distant look in his eyes or if it's the fact that he's just an incredibly powerful magic user as you see it compared to your very technological mechanical skill set um maybe maybe speak to that tyler with who your character is and your background what element of distrust could you find in a magic user well like that uh part of it is you know uh tyler himself is kind of has his own background and and reasons he's here uh that isn't exactly um what everyone would immediately believe uh so um just like everybody else he kind of understands that everybody kind of has their their dark secrets and stuff and tyler is of course trying his darndest to figure out what's going on there um because he's just got to know kind of what that what's setting him off and also what graham is hiding sure sure so it's kind of a you know we've all got our backgrounds but i want to find out his before he finds mm-hmm. out mine uh he's not uh tyler's not he is not worried that anybody figures out what's going on with him to be honest he's okay. just not okay he doesn't say it mm-hmm. he's he's the person he's like okay you're gonna know that oh well i'm still in a big freaking tower of uh, steel that can really shoot you really well so uh good luck with that <laughs> okay great all right perfect perfect and then slash you know it's it's more of a professional thing you know like you you haven't had any reason for graham from graham to not work with him but what do you think is something that maybe makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up you know it doesn't necessarily like you trust him you've obviously fought with him he was obviously at tolkien fighting on the right side quote unquote but what do you think is something that maybe just raises an eyebrow or makes you go ah man that guy just his ability to use magic it just freaks me out it's like that's just unnatural shouldn't work like that (laughs) i'm so much on the technical side so much with guns and technology and that that the magic stuff is just kind of like it just makes me give him a double look it's not that i don't trust him it's just it's weird just kind of freaks me out Okay. (laughs) I like that. And for Graham, for you, do you think uh, this is something that Graham is socially savvy enough to have picked up on that these characters are not necessarily keeping him at arm's length, but are maybe just when a certain topic is brought up, they're a little more reserved or maybe they step away, you know, a little more often when a conversation gets heated you know, is, is this something that you would have noticed or it's completely over your head? You think everyone is 100% fine? Uh, I think Graham is definitely very much aware that um, that he is not trusted. Uh, Graham, I think, definitely, I think we've sort of established Graham doesn't necessarily have the easiest time um, convincing people that he is um, exactly as he seems. Um, and I think hand in hand with that, you know, the distrust of magic users across all of this, uh, this area has definitely given him at least the, the, uh, inkling of like, okay, nobody is really going to take me at face value and everyone is a little bit reserved with me and Graham is naturally reserved. So I think he's definitely picked up on that, but it's, it's so common um, that it's not like a cause for concern or stress. It's just sort of like, a, oh, this again. Okay. Okay. All right. Perfect. And that's that, that's a great way to read that. That actually fits 
that's exactly what I hoped you would say. So fantastic. Uh, Cause that's how the rest of this campaign is written guys. Um, <laughs> coming back to Tyler. And again, this isn't, I'm not trying to sow discord within the ranks or set you up to, to be going one against the other. It's just no, that... you would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't ever. But in in the post-apocalyptic world of rifts, you know, magic is still a fairly rare thing. So even though they've worked with the city of Tolkien or on the side of good, just for sake of delineation here, you know, it's still a little bit unnerving to encounter these people. It's sort of that that thing that you always talk about that's kind of out there over there like oh yeah these people exist they do those things this is tolkien i'm working with them but magic users are still relatively rare and so to have brought one into their confidence and be traveling with one it's like on on the one hand it's this incredibly powerful person and backup that's on their side now but on the other hand it's still you know it could make their skin crawl and it just depends on who this type of person is excuse me oof so Moving forward to the refugees themselves, Tyler, can you give me one encounter with one refugee, maybe around a campfire, maybe it was a conversation on the road when you laid your glitter boy out on the flatbed and you were walking alongside the people, uh, one encounter that you had, were you telling a boastful story to an admiring crowd of young girls? Were you swapping war stories with a limping veteran? What's one encounter that you had with one refugee and what was their name that that sort of gave you an investment in this group? Like, you know, these these people are all right. And and I'm I'm glad that I'm here with them. So as uh Tyler was kind of walking along everybody, he kinda saw um an older lady that was um you know keeping up with everybody, but looks like she was having a little bit of trouble. Um and kind of went beside her and started chatting with her and found out her name was Sarah and um, kind of, you know, kind of had a heart to heart conversation with her. And, um, as Tyler kind of is out doing this type of stuff for his daughter, um, who's, you know, back with the nanny, um, cause going out here is not exactly the safest thing. Um, found out that, uh, Sarah actually had, um, two daughters that during, um, some of the conflicts that she's been in actually, uh, didn't make it. And so, spent a lot of time talking to to Sarah about kind of his own daughter um as well as you know getting to know what her daughters were like and kind of what she's um what she was like and and kind of took a um you know like okay I got to I got to be here and make sure these people get to a safe spot that's great that's very powerful that's it's really powerful man uh that took a very heartfelt turn that I didn't expect it to <laughs> okay, and moving to Graham, what's what's one encounter that you had again on the road around a campfire, maybe after the combat, uh another man at arms, you know, one of the other magic users or uh gifted people or maybe just a you know, a, a generic human or a DB. What's one encounter that you had with one of these 30-ish refugees that really made you say, you know, I'm I'm glad I'm here and and I, I need to be here for them. Um, I think that um, at some point, probably um, working on and patching up um, one of the uh, one of the other men at arms, the travel you know comes with its own 
dangers and its own um, scrapes and bumps. And I think probably, you know, Graham tending some wounds um, when they set down for camp. Um, I think that's probably a moment that um, sort of builds a, a connection between the, the group. Okay. All right. Great. Fantastic. And Slash, what about what about you? You know, was it another man at arms? Were you talking about firearms? Were you talking about uh, to an old veteran, you know, in a malfunction that got his arm chopped off and now he's here with you or what? You know, what what something did you connect on with with a refugee that made you say, like, these these people are worth it? What was sort of a heartfelt moment? So it was after maybe the initial bandit fight where we saved them and Slash was down cleaning his weapon his one man army laser rifle they're like wow it's a junker weapon some veteran came by and he started talking to him and as he was cleaning it he just kind of went into the story about how he acquired the weapon how he got it from some juicer that didn't see him coming and he caught him in the back and slashed his throat and took his weapon from him that's that's pretty awesome man all right i'd actually I'd forgotten we had discussed that right up until you brought it up. That's great. <laughs> and what was what was that veteran's name? Ah, shoot. Slash doesn't remember. Okay, that's but, very. But he weird. he was he was um he had a big he had a big long like almost Santa beard and he was one of the more rowdy guys in the refugees. He was one that was helping them fight. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Maybe it was, uh, maybe it was like Billy Gibbons or something, you know, or Frank Beard, just a quick ZZ top reference. Sorry, everybody. I'll move on. <laughs> it was, it was, it was Ivan. His name was Ivan. Perfect. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Ivan. Okay, great. That's perfect. So we've got Sarah, Ivan, uh, Graham. Did, uh, you know, the soldiers that you were helping, was there one who stood out to you? Did he have a name? Um, Steven. Steven. Okay. Fantastic. Okay. Okay. That's great. So that gives me, gives us some world building. We've kind of got a, you know, a, a couple of hands around the group of refugees that you're escorting. Again, it's about 30 ish refugees that you're taking through the mountains here and have escorted across North America. You've been really fortunate to have made it this far and you you're pretty sure that you're close to your goal. You know, there is no GPS, there are no satellites up there that you can reference, but from the paper maps that a couple of the refugees produced and from your own memory when looking at the escape routes as as the missile launch against Tolkien was announced, you feel like you must be getting very close to what was pre-Rifts New Mexico and what could potentially be Pride's Shield, the barony in the northern mountains of new old pre-Rifts New Mexico that offers this miracle escape, you suppose? You haven't heard of anything better to aim for except for the mythical cloud city of the Lynn Serial people, the DB race, and that that just sounds way too good to be true so you know that's that's going to be over there on the way left so we find ourselves on a clear summer morning eh, you'd hazard it's probably about midsummer maybe just before the solstice you feel like the days are getting a little bit longer 
as they go. And the refugee train is traveling fairly well. You're a little bit slowed down. One of the vehicles has a flat tire, which you manage to fill with a little bit of mud and cap it off with some some paste. So it's a solid wheel now, but it's still rolling. You wish there were a few more of those hover cars to find. And it's been uphill going. People are tired. There's definitely a few that are a little bit hungry. You've had to trim rations back just because of the number of people. And you're not quite sure if you can keep going because this mountain pass just keeps going up. Slash, up there in your armor, you know that it's maybe another thousand feet of elevation. They're close. You'll be you'll be up to the top of this mountain pass in maybe two hours at your current rate. It's it's just another thousand feet. You know that the train can make it, and you've seen some ruins up there from the air. But Graham, down on the ground, you're just getting groans and complaints, and people are asking you if you can stop and take a rest. You only set out three hours ago. And that's when Stephen makes his way up to the front of the line. Is like, hey, hey man, is there any way at do you think we could just take a couple hours here? You know, what's what's the big rush? Why are we pushing through this? And as he asks you that, you know in the back of your mind that mountains are one, fantastic place places for ambushes, and two, you know that the south is where vampires live. You have heard these rumors and you have heard these stories. As a magic user, you were in circles that the others were not, and you know for a fact that you're essentially moving into dangerous territory now. You know, you've always been in danger. It's post-apocalyptic rifts, but it's an ever-present tingle in the back of your mind. So I think um, I think Graham sort of walking along, um, sort of a stave or walking stick in hand, um, just plodding when Stephen comes up. So I think he turns around and is like, mm, mm, no, nope, we should definitely keep moving. we got uh, many more miles to go before we can call it quits for the day. But uh, you know what, Stephen, you know, uh, pretty soon maybe we'll do a, a zero day, you know, we'll just uh, rest, recover, but wouldn't be good right now. Not safe yet. Steven's like, he, you know, he sighs, he's sweaty. He's still limping from that huge bandage you've got on his thigh. The stitches were good, you know, for a fact. So you're pretty sure he's milking it. But he's like, ah, come on, man. Like, it's a clear, I mean, look at this, look at this blue, blue sky. Uh, this is the stuff we heard about in stories. You know, the smoke rising over Chi-Town from the industry there. Just, we didn't think something like this could exist. And here we are, day four. It's been quiet as a tomb. C come on. Just a short break. Uh, I, could maybe, I could maybe get you a short break. We could, we could take a 20, but no hours. We don't got the time for the hours yet. You know, you guys all know what's at stake here and where we're going, so... Yeah, this is uh, this is what we need to be doing. We're gonna pause on that convo and jump up to Tyler. How far ahead of the train are you? 
Uh, I make sure that I'm far enough ahead that if I needed to, I could actually use my boom gun. Uh, <laughs> which doesn't need to be too terribly far, but definitely, um, you know, at least a couple hundred yards to anywhere from there to maybe, you know, a kilometer, a kilometer and a half ahead, just so he's got the opportunity to take the first shot to him and to the bad guy. Sure, sure. Um, can you, is, is the boom gun deafen on a, uh, physical distance? Or uh, it said it's a large template. Okay. So. Okay. Great. Perfect. And then you're gonna have to remind me for the rifts. Did they give you a, you know, putting the pylons in the ground, and you know, firing the actual gun? Uh, they specifically said I can't uh, move and fire in the same one, and that I do need to plant those. Uh, I'll double check those and just make sure I've got that right here. Okay. Yeah, just, you know, how long does it take you to plant pylons and, and take that mm -hmm. first shot? Yep, yep. Okay, cool. Uh, so, moving back to um, Slash, are you ahead of the column, sort of over Tyler, or are you over the column and you can see Tyler? If he's about, you know, maybe, you know, 200 yards or so ahead. I'd be between Tyler and the column. Okay. About right. 100 to 150 feet up above, just keeping watch. Okay, cool. Fantastic. And uh, I have an action called digging in, which activating and deactivating it is an action. So oh, if wow. I needed to shoot, uh, if I needed to shoot, I'd have to dig in on one mm -hmm. turn. The next turn I can shoot and then the next turn I can dig out and then start moving. Um, otherwise, if I shoot without digging in, uh, it knocks me 2d6 inches back and prone, stunning the pilot. Okay. Cool. Damn, that's a big gun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, it is. But that's, you know, and that's cool. It's it's not that you can't fire it. Mm-hmm. So, that's fine. Alright, great. And in action, so six, about six seconds to dig in. Uh, just as a reference point, six action, or six seconds is a round. So, you get one action so it'd be about six seconds to dig in, six seconds to dig out. And that's just enough time to build that action movie suspense. Yep. <laughs> Although, isn't there, isn't there a way to do multiple actions in one turn somehow? Uh, with the Benny, perhaps? If you, if you spend a benefit I'll for that, that, that up. heroic lift. Um, let me see here. I actually took a screenshot of Benny benefit usage, and I think, mm -hmm. I think that's why. So I'm going to throw that into the Discord chat here for you all to take a look at, because you all have, just as a gameplay mechanic here, before we go too much further, you all have three benefits to use. Yep, so characters characters can perform multi, up to three actions on their turn. Each action, uh, additional action beyond the first inflicts a negative two penalty to all actions. Taking ah. two actions, for example, incurs a negative two penalty to both, and three actions is a negative four penalty to all of them. Wild cards get their wild dice on each action as usual, and all actions must be declared at the start of the turn and before any dice are rolled. Penalties remain even if a later action doesn't happen, usually because it was dependent on an earlier success. Okay. There we go. So it's a modifier, negative modifier. Yep. Okay. All right. 
Did everyone make a note of that so you can screw over the GM later? Absolutely. Mark, <laughs> I mean, it. I mean, no, no, absolutely not. All right. So, uh, Slash is about 150 feet up in the air. He's keeping an eye on Tyler to the fore and Graham and the refugee cha- train to the rear. We've got a couple of vehicles. It's kicking up dust. It's a clear, dry summer day. And Graham is being heckled about getting a break by the group for just uh, just a few minutes, just a short few minutes. So you said you could do a short break, Graham. And he said, you know, he he was still shaking his head when you said 20 minutes. He's like, we we need an hour, man. Have you seen these oldsters? We can't all pile onto the vehicles. We've just got too many bodies. Just just one, one hour. Can we get one hour in the mountains? I think if he was persistent um, and not amenable to uh, a persuasion, um, I think Graham would actually seek um, advice from the men at arms. I mean, Graham is not a uh, is not a professional refugee organizer uh, in any way, shape, or form. Like this is this is new. Um, but uh, you know he knows how to travel on his own. He knows how to to you know prepare a camp and take care of himself. But how to coordinate for a large group of people is not something in his wheelhouse. Um, and other than that, you know he knows that others may have a better idea of the situation than he does, or at the very least, combining you know putting heads together. Uh, however many heads are better than one. Sure. So I think he might, um, if there's like a, I don't know for what we have for communications, if we have radio or if we just have signals or what have you, but I think he would um, loop in some of the others on this. Yeah, I think, um, oh man, I'm so used to Rifts having a stupid amount of gear, but I think that as you're coming from the war-torn north, you would have, you would have shortwave radios. You know, you're all within a few hundred feet of each other, a few hundred yards of each other. The NGS2 survival pack specifically comes with a radio with a five mile range. Okay, perfect. Then you're good to go. It's a nice range. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, I think we would uh, shoot a call to our our entire sort of escort um, and uh, sort of apprise them of the situation. Um, and I think Graham isn't upset about it. You know, he's not bothered that he's being bothered um i don't i think that's the reason he's not bothered is so much is that i don't think he picks up on what a big deal this is for steven or for the others you know that intuitiveness that social awareness uh not picking up on that not going like oh this is really serious for him um graham's going by what he knows just like no it doesn't seem like a good idea right now he probably shouldn't but um, because he's been pestered, I think uh, we try to loop in um, at least um, Tyler to ask what, uh, or you know, both Tyler and Slash to see what they're picking up on this location, whether or not they feel uh, secure. Well, um, I'm thinking uh, that uh, this probably is not the best place to stop for their health and well-being. Uh, but then again, you know, if we want to be sitting targets in a spot where, uh, you know, ambushes probably could happen pretty easily, uh, boulders roll downhill pretty, pretty nicely. 
this would be the spot that I'd uh, I'd like to surprise someone. Are they are they unable to walk or just uh, just looking for a little rest? It doesn't seem we have anyone unable. Just we may not have uh, the pinnacles of physical fitness on board here. And slash, you were saying something. I'd fly down to um, where Graham is to kind of help him, kind of calm people down to kind of get them to back off him from heckling him and just kind of, you know, explain the situation that we got a little further to go where it'll be a little bit safer to rest that if we can keep going a little bit further that we'll have some time to take a break. I think that's a, you know, that's a solid action to take that slash is definitely proactive. Tyler's willing to hear it out and have the discussion slash is like, Hey guys, let's, we can make this happen. So slash your armor isn't the flashiest and it's not the biggest, but it still makes an impact when you drop down out of the sky. People are used to seeing it by now, but it's still like, Oh man, this is, that's just so cool. You know, a flying suit of power armor that still works. Uh, Everything in rifts is beat, beat to hell and back, especially after the war. You know, the only things that people see now this for the last six months to a year or just just beaten up old used broken equipment and so it's still just like ah yeah that's slash man he's he's got our he's got our high cover you know that, that that's a good guy there he's solid he's solid you haven't really talked to a lot of them but obviously stories have circulated so you land and people kind of sigh because they know they obviously Graham, you see this they obviously chose steven to come up and talk to you so you know seeing you get on the radio and then seeing slash come down from his high watch which is kind of where he is every day they really don't see him except for meal times uh you know they they start to gather up and around people pick up their their pace a little bit to get up closer to you so slash you start to plead your case to to Graham and to Steven, really the the spokesperson, when the you know crowd begins to gather around you and and a couple more people, a couple more people, the train is starting to catch up to this sort of stopping point. A couple minutes go by as it's like, guys, you know that we've got just a little bit more to go here, and it's it's gonna be all right. So, slash, uh, if I pop open your character sheet here. Can you roll me an untrained persuasion? Or no, it's not untrained. You do have the persuasion skill. What would that be? So if you open up your character sheet and click on the die and then drag that to the chat, is that correct, Icy? You should be able to roll that. Or double click on it, either way. Oh, just to double click? That's nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Persuasion. Oh, I guess that's a three. <laughs> mm. All right. Uh, Graham, <laughs> would you also like to roll a persuasion skill? <laughs> I would be happy to. <laughs> yeah, Slash isn't the nicest guy. Yeah. You can see a five. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, Slash, you, you drop down out of the sky. You start to make your case. And it's 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 not the most convincing case. And so Graham jumps in, you know, to, to sort of auxiliary your point, adjunct your point. And it seems like the people are starting to see sense, you know, because Graham, you, you weren't 
fully aware of the fact that just a just another thousand feet you're good to go you know you're you're ready um but it starts it starts to make more sense now it starts to make more sense now and so the group is starting to quiet down and be like okay you know all right maybe maybe we can do this maybe we can do this and they're willing to head on for the rest of the thousand feet and it's as you're heading up the rest of the roadway that you hear a rumbling and you hear the rocks falling but you feel the earth moving and that's when you're thinking oh oh no why why is this the hairs on the back of your neck go up Graham, and you feel like this is this is not not going to be good at all not even a little bit and so here we go i see i'm gonna jump to you for a second Mm -hmm. you're out ahead of the group and you feel the earth start to move behind you and this is a a pretty steep slope with a couple of switchbacks so you don't have clear line of sight and i'm gonna ask you here really quick uh for initiative for savage worlds it's just the cards i don't ask you guys to roll d20s the gm kind of takes that out of your hands is that right Usually they just, yeah, you deal out cards. Um, so in the combat tracker, you should have the option to assign uh, initiative. Okay, fantastic. So if I hit that flag, is that? No, that's not roll initiative. Action cards, deal to all, bam. And then I've got to put my combatant in there. And by default, you shouldn't see my combatant. Is that right? Uh, I believe so in this in this one. Okay, fantastic. Tyler, you're up at the front, and uh, you don't have a clear line of sight when you feel the ground shaking behind you. And what's your immediate first thought when you start to feel the ground shake? Uh, the first thing I think I would do is make sure that all of my sensors on the Glitter Boy are up and running. Uh, and I would start scanning around me to see what's going on uh, while kind of moving back that way hoping it's not just like a random landslide or something like that that's coming for the caravan. And if it is, then I'll, I'd be starting to move back there to see if I can start blocking boulders or do something about it. Sure. Sure. Okay. All right. And so if you're, you know, your immediate thought is like, Oh man, what, what is this? Let me look back here. Uh, mm-hmm. Slash ground starts to shake. What's the first thing you're thinking about right now? I'd jump back up in the air and start looking for the source of where this rumbling's coming from. Okay. All right. So that's your that's your sort of gut instinct as the ground starts to shake. But before you can actually take off break, Graham, what's your knee-jerk reaction here as the ground starts to move? Um, I start counting heads. I start looking around and seeing, you know, doing a, an inventory of where everyone's at. Sure, sure. Okay. All right. So as you're beginning to do that, uh, the ground is rumbling and shaking and slash you are about to jump into the air when ahead of you, you hear this explosive, explosive noise and bursting out of the side of the mountain, making its way towards the path is a burrowing worm. And it is, you think, this gigantic absolutely horrific creature and so this is where we would normally say roll initiative d20s hit the table 
uh, but instead we have cards and the worm actually goes first and it is going to take this time to move closer towards you the pile of refugees you're not quite sure what drove it to sense you what where you happen to be but this is what's happening so when it moves to if i hit this downward arrow my worm goes first it's moved closer we're going to go to gram as the next up here if we just want to take a quick second here tyler if you want to scoot yourself or if i let me scoot you here you're at the top top of the road um, we're going to get a draw line in here so you've got a switchback in the road there that you have to get mm -hmm. around before you can take a look back at the worm and oh where'd my map go i just lost it kitties there we are we're back all right and the worm is there and should be set to visible okay it is great okay great 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 so tyler you're up there at the front uh i'm gonna hit the check mark on slash and on graham so graham you are next up uh hopefully you've had a second look over your character sheet in terms of combat abilities and those pieces what is it you would like to do here the refugees are screaming as this thing has burst out of the ground and is beginning to motor towards you. Yeah, I think um, probably the first thought is to um, try and entangle it, um, trying to keep it away from the refugees. Fantastic. I'm going to jump to entangle the spell here because that's a big deal. Uh, entangled the state summary for all of our listeners is the victim can't move and is distracted as long as they remain entangled so you know that's an issue for me and for the worm so are you aware of how spellcasting works here graham oh barely okay all right so i think we need to take a second here and pull this up because i will admit i do not know either uh, I'm using worlds. like a couple cheat sheets, but uh, I'm not sure whether they're specific to Savage Rifts or Savage Worlds as the more general. It's going to be blanket. So if it works for Savage Worlds, let's roll it in. Okay. It looks like I will roll uh, spellcasting versus its agility. Okay. Perfect. Let's do that. Let me double check this little cheat sheet. See what we got. Um, blah, blah, blah. Arcane skill rolls opposed by the target's agility. Um, going to cost two to four power points. Uh, I only need a single opponent, so it's just going to cost two power points. Um, and the one thing that I'm not sure what the conversion is, is the range is equal to smarts. Okay. The range should come up here. I'm at the heading of the chapter, and spell range is usually pretty early on. They spend a lot of time on trappings. Uh, as far as power points go, you're going to be looking at your PPE, and I believe that as a first-level Leyline Walker, you have a set amount of 10? That appears so. Oh, for smarts. They're not giving me a conversion for smarts here for the actual range. So we're going to say that smarts is, uh, is, you know, one inch equals five yards, one smarts equals one square, or five yards. So... With your smarts stat, if I pull up a gram, your smart stat is eight, so you're gonna be able to go out eight squares. 
That sounds pretty logical. Let's see uh, what's our distance currently. Looks like you are about 10 squares away. So if you want to move up two squares, uh, which you can just hit alt, left alt, grab your character and move him forward two squares. You'll be able to count the pace and range there. And then I think, Icy, correct me if I'm wrong, if he does a control and click on the worm, it'll give him the range to target. Is that right? Yep. Yep, that'll target it. All right, well, I, I have it targeted through the combat tracker, but it does not indicate the distance or anything like that. That is fine. So <laughs> Slash is already getting in there with the laser. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> That's okay. We'll We'll get there. We'll get to you. We'll get to you. Uh, for you, Graham. Uh, <laughs> uh, if we, so you want to entangle it. So I believe at this point, if you go ahead and grab a D8 for Graham and drop that into the chat, and then I will grab the worm's agility and roll that. Oh, wow. Okay. One on each die. That's brutal, man. Uh, I think that's a time with the, is that a trait that we can reroll with a Benny? Yeah. Yep. That's, Cause that, that's, that seems like a thing right there of one on each die. Yeah. That's, that that's a good one. That's a good one for that. For sure. Uh, actually I think a one on both die is considered a critical fail and that's the one spot you can't do it. Normally you oh, can. That's right. Yeah. You have to have to accept a critical fail. Yep. Don't say that. Ooh, critical fail on an entangle spell spell. Um, so for a critical fail on the entangle, I'm going to say that you do spend the power points and that the spell goes off, but on yourself, but in a limited capacity. So it's, uh, you know, it entangles, vines begin to reach up out of the ground, these dusty, sandy, pebble-ridden vines that wrap themselves around your feet and ankles begin to climb up your legs. And that is, that is deeply unfortunate. So I believe we can clear the worm from your target and then move to the next person, next combatant, which will be Slash. So now, Slash, you can check the range. If I pop open your character sheet here, we can check the range on your guns. Uh, looks like you would like to use that JA, was it the 12 that you have? Because I'm in the uh, power armor, I was going to use the anti-personnel lasers on the power armor. Okay. Fantastic. Got it. It says 75, 150, 300. You are well, 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 well within range, my friend. So I think for the anti-personnel laser then at this point, if you would like to select the worm as target, or I might be able to do that for you. Bam. I can select the worm as the target. So you see that pop up in the combat tracker. You've got the baby giant worm next to your crosshairs there underneath your name so remember that you can also make a move and i think your flying pace is something ridiculous like 24 so if you want to move i mean it's a burrowing worm i wouldn't advise moving right next to it but if you want to move closer you certainly can <laughs> but as he said the range shouldn't matter at all Ooh, and he ace one so is fantasy grounds going to automatically bump that ace roll or is he gonna have to re-roll the die Nope, he aced it. It rerolled it, so it it you saw it roll another dice, and so you got a nine. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. Fantastic. Well, that's a absolutely a hit here. So now you can roll the damage. 
And I think the best way to do that is to go to the combat tab and grab your so left click and drag that to chat. Is that right? Yep. Got it. There we go. Nice. There we go. Whoa, Ooh. why is it still dropping dice? Because he aced a couple times. <laughs> Damn. Uh he he heard it. <laughs> Well, fucking probably killed it. Jesus Christ! Is that did he ace that die multiple times? Yeah. Yep. Jesus. Yep. That's forty-two damage. Those lasers are not nice. No. Oh man. Let's see. I think what he aced five die. Yeah. Well, the one d six got twenty-three. So yeah, that's that's he aced it. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Oh crud! Jeez. Okay, well, guys, my uh, big bad worm screams in pain, and it is very hurt. There is, it slashes, jumps to the front, sprays the lasers from the arms of the power armor towards this worm that spewed across the ground and is rolling towards you here, and uh, the worm is screeching in pain. It is It is very almost dead. And so we'll jump to the next combatant here before this gets too anticlimactic. Tyler, (laughs) what can we do you for? Uh, Well, the first thing is I'm going to try and move to where I can see what's... Well, actually, before I even do that, I'm going to hop on the radio. Uh, Gentlemen, uh, is there something going on down there? Yeah, you might want to get in range and blast this thing. Uh, what, What is the thing that we're we're talking about here oh you'll see the, the thing tyler you'll see oh the it's thing. big and nasty all right and then i will i will attempt to how far can i move how big are these squares is these single squares or are these multiple squares these should be single squares so your pace and the power armor should be more than enough if you want to step around that berm you'll have yep. a clear enough line down okay I will I will do that and then uh seeing this big worm and it's also you know mildly close to to the party uh am I am I out of range where shooting my boom gun is going to be okay without deafening various people okay now I haven't been able to find a direct read but I believe the big template quote unquote big template is 10 squares. So yes, you should be out of range. You will deafen the worm. Okay. Uh, Then I'm going to take two actions uh, this turn. The first one is going to be dropping my uh, spikes into the ground, and the second one is going to be shooting the snot out of this thing. Um, You know, since you have a boom gun, it it will be the snot. Well, gentlemen, uh, I think it's well. Actually, what would Tyler do? Tyler, um, you know what? He's not going to do that. He's not going to drop that. He's actually going to try and melee this thing. It's 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 almost dead. It's not going to be fair to this thing to to just shoot it with a boom gun. That's that's not cool. Yeah. That's- so at the point where you step around the berm, it w- you can see the tracks in the ground and the hole where it exploded from in the side of the mountain, you know, beyond the edge of the pathway where it was, it was beginning to jet towards the refugees and Graham and slash 
you know, making their last stand in front of the group of peasants and, and refugees there. Mm-hmm. But it is as you come around that corner, there is just ichor across the ground, and this worm is now writhing and screeching. It's it's no longer jetting towards them. And so you see that there is definitely an opportunity here. All right. So I don't I don't really don't think I have uh, maybe I do. I think I might have a punch on this thing. Let me go to my inventory here, my armor, glitter boy armor. Let's open that up. Uh, you should gun have a and a vibrant punch. A... I got a punch. I got a punch. Uh, so I can move up to the thing. Mm-hmm. And I am going to attempt to punch it. And I'm not great at this, but. I am not about to let a combat a combatant go down that easily. You gotta <laughs> give it a chance. I am attempting to play up my arrogance uh, quite a bit on this one. Uh, mm-hmm. So that would be a fighting role, correct? Against its uh, parry, if I remember right? Yeah, I think that's right. And then I don't actually roll an opposed parry. It's just against its parry stat. All right, I got a D4 in fighting. Let's see what we do here. Oh, boy. I got a three. Oof. That was with your wild die? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, you you miss. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> uh, so you run up, but in the, in the worm's wild throws, it definitely, uh, you know, isn't a, in attempting to dodge you, but... Between its scaly, thick hide and its writhing, the blow glances off. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to turn on my external speaker. All right, you big worm, let's see what you got. Perfect. Slash chuckles a little hearing that. Perfect. If Graham wasn't busy trying to untangle himself, he would definitely be <laughs> face palming. <laughs> And so we move to, oh, okay, next round, and the Baby Giant Worm and Tyler both drew Jokers. So uh, I think that means that I get a Benny, and all the players get a Benny, which means that, Graham, you're back up to three. But what does a Joker mean in terms of combat? I do not remember. I'm learning a whole new rule set. Yep, Jokers jokers allow uh, the person that pulled a Joker to go whenever they want in the turn. I believe it's even stopping in the middle of someone else's turn if they so choose. Um, Yikes. And that's what that means. So if the worm wanted to go first, he can certainly just go, I'm going first. Nice. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to use my Joker to do that unless the worm is going to attempt to circumvent me. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Well, what that means here is that the, uh, Worm is not going to circumvent you. The Joker, or the Worm would like to go first. The Worm would like to just, you came up to hit it, the blow glanced off, and it's just going to lash out and bite the nearest thing because it's hurt, and that's what animals do. Oh, good. Good, good. Tyler's <laughs> excited by this. Let's, let's, get, let's get a hit in. So the Worm is going to attempt to bite you, and so uh, the die on the left, I believe, is a bite. So if maybe I can do this here. So I select the Worm, Control-click to you. And then I can double click bite and that should roll that maybe. Yep. <laughs> yep. And it, it hits me because uh, my parry is a four. Ooh, nice. Okay. So then we four will, 
Hmm? However, I'm going to see if I can get through the armor. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I doubt it, honestly. The Glitter Boy's armor is stupid. Does it have any armor piercing? No, it does not for the bite. Okay. Uh, my armor is 25, so... Jeebus. Okay. That's... Yeah, so no. So Just a little strong. Yeah, the worm bites, and its teeth shear and snap as it bites across you, and it screeches in more pain. If anyone has gotten a... Uh, or bitten into, like, an ice cream cone with their teeth... That's what the worm is feeling right now. Not the brain freeze, just that sort of numbing spike of pain that comes through your jaw. Uh, that's what the worm feels as it bites across the chrome plating of a glitter boy. And that'll jump us to... So, because of the jokers, it looks like it didn't actually jump to the next person's turn. Okay, here we go. So, now we're going to drop down to Tyler. Um, yep. So, I'm would you like to... Turn. Okay. Yep. yep. Good. Go ahead. Absolutely. I'm going to with with the external speakers on. Just chuckle. <laughs> All right, you big worm. It's now my turn, and I am going to punch it as well. Okay. Can you believe you really said that, Graham? Uh, I got an eight. Uh, if I don't hit, I'm going to spend a Benny to try that again. But no, you do hit. hit. You do okay, hit. All right. Shakes his head. Just, just still shake him. <laughs> All right, uh, and this is uh... should have known a worm would lead us to some references. My apologies. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I roll my damage for this thing, and I do twelve. So I looks like it automatically calculated it as shaken. Yeah, no, that's um, that's moving beyond shaken. That's actually going to be. The punch that pushes through the outer skin of the worm, and as it, the carapace crunches through, and you feel the ichor within, you feel the shudders, the dying shudders of this baby giant worm that burrowed its way through the ground. You recognize that there's potentially no way you could have dealt with a full sized beast. And as you take a step back and draw I doubt Tyler recognizes that. No. Uh-huh. Yeah, no. I I if if it showed up, he'd he'd take it on. He'd probably use his boom gun in that case, but Oh uh, god. I don't know. Um Well, in any case, you bury your fist up to the shoulder in this disgusting, disgusting Iker, and the creature shudders knocking you about a little bit within your power armor and dies. Oh, that's going to smell horrible. Little little help here. Little slash. You want to do the cutting thing? Yeah. I'll uh, pull out my Viber knife and help him get untangled. Nice. Nice. I think Graham just sort of dusts himself off and goes, you know, it doesn't always go right. You know, it's the thing about magic. <laughs> you know, just sometimes. It, ha- it try happens. Best. Just like any battle, some stuff just doesn't go right. And it's at that point, Graham, that uh, Steven says, well, you know, maybe maybe we don't stop, guys. <laughs> you no, know what, Steven? Good I, think that's, I think that's real clever of you. I think, uh, you know, you're, uh, you're a smart one. <laughs> 
So, Slash, as you are uh, cutting the beast, what were you going to say? Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I'm going to chuckle a little bit at Graham's comment to Stephen as I'm going to take off back into the air. The worst part is I think Graham is like being sincere and trying to be encouraging, even though that's just so obviously, like for anyone else, very clearly patronizing and sarcastic. Sure, sure. I think it's Slash. sort of like Graham has like the, the school teacher vibe of like, you know what? You solved that problem on your own. Good job. Even though like, you know, the rest of the class is already there, you know, to anyone, it should have been obvious that we move on. But, you know, that's just a little encouragement. You know, you can get there too. No child left behind. God, just got to gotta drive that point home real quick. Slash thinks it's hilarious. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Okay. Well, uh, Slash, as you are cutting that that worm open, there isn't you you get you know you get uh, Taylor Tyler out of his predicament there, and you recognize that the you know there there's actually a stomach sack right behind the head of the worm, probably the initial digestion chamber, and as you're recognizing that. Your vibro knife actually bumps into something. You're like, oh, maybe this, you know, this might be something. And it's through that that you spill its first gut on what could potentially be some some loot. So I think there is a shared inventory table. If I go uh, to yep. the mm-hmm. party sheet inventory, yep. Yep. And then and you then do I need drop to... parcels in there? Do I need to share that window with you, or can you see the party sheet inventory? I, we can see it. We can see it, yeah. Yeah, you can pull it from one of the uh, icons in the top right. Okay, mm-hmm. fantastic. So if I drop the parcel into parcel items... Ooh, yep. I see four things in there. There we go. So the backpack is almost completely digested. Uh, if you click on the items... I've been trying to make note on each specific item. If you click on the item, you'll notice its cost is... 10 instead of, I don't know what the default is, 60, 70. Uh, And then the other items are fairly hard wearing. So they all seem to be mostly intact despite the worm's stomach acids. So I don't know uh, here, do I need to, no, this is a sell items arrow. So you now have access to pull those items right now that it's been dropped in parcel. Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, uh, nasty stuff. Covers this stuff, but um, might be able to salvage some of this. Anybody looking for an axe or a ballistic shield or a pistol? Well, an, an axe could be a little bit of fun uh, to use in, at one point in time. Uh, so if y'all don't mind, I, I might take that. Sawyer, absolutely. By all means, Tyler. Uh, Graham, do you have yourself a laser pistol? I mean, I know you got magic and all that, but um. Never know, a laser pistol might be useful. I do, in fact, have a laser pistol. And I show off the little uh, northern gun that we got. Very nice, very nice. Well, if you don't mind, I'll take this other one then. Help yourself, friend. Nice, nice, nice. How do I grab that? Just uh... So grab the little red dot. So go to your inventories. Uh, which one are you trying to grab? The laser pistol. Yep, so go to your inventory. It doesn't work when you drop it, drop it on mundane. Go to your weapons, and then that little red dot, drag that into an empty spot on your weapons inventory. Okay. So and if inventory. you you can see in the chat, it says party, Graham, backpack, party, Tyler, axe throwing, 
And then got it. Shows who's taking what. Cool. Thank you. All right. Got it. I'll grab got the ballistic, ballistic shield and since it seems that uh, it's not really first pick for anyone else. Absolutely. It's all yours. By all means. Might, you know, might get some coin later. As we close here, Stephen and the refugees recognize that they should not be stopping out in the middle of the wilderness. That's potentially a very bad idea, as was just illustrated to them by none other than the giant worm. And a very heroic stand by our Tyler, glitter boy up at the front, came back with a leaping flying power punch to the head of the worm, which he missed, and then followed up with an uppercut that got him stuck in the carcass. Slash came to the fore and cut him loose, but I think this definitely puts us in a place to go forward, guys, for next week. Uh, This is the hopefully first episode of many good and exciting moments that we can share. Questions, thoughts as we close? Good, good, good. Absolutely, absolutely. This was a lot of fun. Heck yeah, definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, it's nice to see you guys again. It's been been a hot minute. Oh yeah, it has been a hot minute, man. Slash is definitely gonna use Tyler's missteps with the punch to tease him later on. (laughs) It would be also great for some point for Slash to reference like previous things that he has done uh, back in the days of uh, Doc and Chaser. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be Just telling, telling stories about this stories. dog once. <laughs> this this awesome dog. <laughs> the gambling doctor. Oh god, that's right. <laughs> yep. That that big gun he had. Oh man, and then the, what Jack in that vehicle? Uh it's they're the memories, man. No, Slash has been all kinds of places, hasn't he? Been all over Riffs. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. Yeah, the, thanks, Gabe, to putting this together and you know getting uh, getting us back into the world. Yeah, absolute yeah. pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Uh, Riffs is definitely a joy for me to be back in. I'm glad that Slash has some war stories to tell of some foolish characters that he's worked with in the past. Memorable, memorable characters that he's worked with in the past. And uh, it's it's good to be back. This is hopefully the first adventure of many. We've still got some kinks to work out, some world building to do, but uh, I we definitely have some suspense, thriller, action, and horror to look forward to. Everybody. <laughs>